0: All right, take your Bibles and make your way to 1 Corinthians 13. This morning, this is the last, our last stop on this journey, if you will. 1 Corinthians 13. We've we've been through the whole chapter except from verse 8 to 13. And that is where we are going to park this morning and talk about love wins. Love wins. And in these verses. We backed up to last week. Last week we talked about the progression of four of the all things that include love. We discussed it in in personal terms this morning in our in our fellowship time before our worship service today and, and it, in verse seven, if you'll start there, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and what endures all things. And remember, last week I told you that word bears means to cover. Love covers for the sake of protection everything that someone else does. Isn't that fascinating? If you're married today, how many of you know that love needs to cover a multitude of sins? Yes? Yeah. Uh, Us husbands, we know that probably better than our wives because we're usually on 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 the receiving end of that. It is our sins that, that their love certainly tends to cover. And then Paul, he does an amazing thing. He just wraps it up. It's kind of the, the culmination, the crescendo, if you will, the beginning of verse 8 with this, with this statement. It basically says, love never fails. Everyone say that together. Ready? Love, love never fails. Fa- now say it like you mean it. Ready? Love never, never fails. fails. It doesn't fail. And now he's going to talk about, look at this. We're going to walk it through. He says, but whether there are prophecies, they will what? Fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, how many of you remember when you were a child? When I was a child, I spoke like a child, right? Right? I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then what? Face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Verse 13, he wraps it up. And now abide. Faith. Hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, here's something to remember. And I was reminded of this, and I like, I, I got this, I read this, and I know I've, I've tried to communicate this, but this guy did it so succinctly, so shortly, so brief. And, and because of its brevity, it had power, at least for my understanding. He said, 1 Corinthians 13. Where do you normally hear this read? Weddings. Weddings, right? It's this flowery love chapter, this beautiful, and it is, this beautiful explanation of love. How is it actually written, though? It's sandwiched between two chapters, 12 and 14, and both of them have a, a rather harsh tone to them. And actually, so does thirteen. And here's what this guy said, and and it just made sense to me. He said, chapter 13 was written as a rebuke. Now, now wait a minute. Think about that. I'm going to say that again. The love chapter is written not as a pat on the back, but as a kick in the pants. Follow it. It's written as a rebuke to this Corinthian church who were literally taking... The more public gifts that Paul identifies here and literally using them not to build each other up, but to beat each other down. Are are you with me? And so Paul writes this chapter 13 as a scathing rebuke to these very immature young believers who were messing it up big time. We need to keep that in mind, especially as we read today. So Let's look at this. It says there, love never fails. That's the, that's the culminating, that's literally what Paul is getting at. And that word fail, when you hear that word fail, what do you think of? In I heard two people say the same thing. To fail in school. What does that mean, to fail in school? It means stay back. Don't make, Don't make the grade. Have to face mom and dad. Have any of you ever failed in school? Dale? Yeah, but you're in the 8th grade now, brother. You're doing great. (laughs) He's the oldest guy in the 8th grade, but brother, he's he's doing good. And how did you, Dale, how did you feel when you had to take that failure home to your dad, to Big Sid? Not too (laughs) good. And by the way, this is free, but I'm going to throw this out there about failure because I'm looking at some dads out there, Hunter and uh, young dad out there, myself, Elvis. Here's the thing, Jerome, and moms too. Kids, I heard this said by very wise men, children are not afraid of failure. They're afraid of failing someone. The most loving thing you can do for your child is to give them permission to fail. Because fail just means first attempt and learning. F-A-I-L, let them, and if they can be okay with failing, if you give them that permission, Mike, you'll build a confident kid. However, this word, love, never fails. What do you think it means in that context, the word fail? Think of a school, failing in school. Does love ever get an F? No. The word itself is interesting. And some of you might have some other translations out there other than the New King James. Um, The word literally in the Greek means to fall off or fall away. Love never falls off. Love never falls away. And the idea is um, like a deciduous tree. What happens to the oak tree in the fall? The leaves turn colors, beautiful colors, and then what do they do? Why do, they, why do the leaves fall off the tree? Okay, the sap drops out. Um, the sun is not as intense. And literally, there's a death there, isn't there? The, the, it, the sap is like the blood. And, and the sap in the winter time goes back down into the roots of the tree, which is the vital part, kind of like our, our heart. And uh, as a result, the leaves fall off. And literally, and that's, and we say that, we, they, we, they do that because it's, here's the word, ready? Seasonal, right? Here's the idea. Love has a season. You ready for this? Write this down. Spring, summer, winter, fall. That's love season. <laughs> love is like the evergreen tree. The, the, the leaves never fall off. Love never has a, never goes out of season. Listen, love, Paul is saying love never goes out of style, Love never goes out of necessity. Love will be around how long? Forever. Even, even plunging through into the eons of eternity. Love was going to be here for all the ages. What's the one thing these Corinthian Christians weren't living out? They weren't living out love. Were they living out the gift of tongues? Yes, were they living out the gift of prophecy? Yes, Yes. were they living out a word of knowledge? Yes, Yes. the gift of knowledge. They were living those things out, But, but listen to me. Those gifts are given to build each other up, and they were using them to beat each other down. They lack love. So Paul's going to say, look, let me explain something to you as he's kind of wrapping this thing up. Love's going to be around forever. Your gifts, they're not. So let's look at that. Here's what it says. He says, first of all, what does fail? What does fall away like the, like the leaves fall off the trees, right? What, what, what falls away? Well, there it is. Look, look, look there. Go to your Bible. You got your Bible open. Look, look at verse number um, 10. i sorry, verse, um, I'm, I'm lost here. Verse 8. Love never fails, but whether there are what? Prophecies. There it is. What are they going to do? Fail. They're going to, literally, that's the same words to fall off, like the leaf falls off the tree. And whether there are tongues, literally languages, they're going to do what? Cease. They're going to stop. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So there you go. What, what? Okay, love never falls off. Love never goes out of style. But what things are going to cease to be one day? Prophecy. And let's talk about that. And it makes me laugh. Can I be non-Baptistic for you for a moment this morning? Can I do that? It's going to scare some of you. And that's funny. Whenever I say that, it scares the Presbyterians among us more than the Baptists. That's an interesting thing to me because it scares the Presbyterian in me. (laughs) But here's the thing. Prophecy. All of the good conservative theologians, both past and present, say, well, you know, this is just the preaching of God's word, and it does include that. Prophecy is the foretelling. This is not foretelling the future. Well, you know what? To get the prophecy was both. Mm-hmm, it was both in there. Why would, why would God want to warn, and, and warn someone or, or tell someone what was going to happen in the future? He's always there. To what? because he loves them what's the purpose of, of letting you know something's coming to warn to prepare you I'll never forget Elizabeth's grandfather uh, told me about a, that, that God literally warned him in a dream about his wife he said there was two things I always feared losing my, my church my ministry and my wife he said and, I, and I've lost three churches and then I lost my wife but each time, God warned me ahead of time that it was coming, and he prepared my heart. You think to get the prophecy was a pretty cool thing, helpful thing? Yeah. But guess what? Guess what it's going to do? It's going to fall away like, like the leaves in the fall. What about to get the tongues or languages? And again, the reason I say non-Baptistic is, is all the Baptists and stuff, that they, they don't want to admit that that had anything to do with telling anything about the future. It also had to do with forth to proclaiming God's word, preaching. Have you ever heard a, a really dynamic preacher? And think, oh, I want to I I w- I do that. I want to be, I wish I could do that. Um, and that's what was happening. Tongues, languages, um, they're going to cease to exist. And that's what it says there, literally cease. And that word is interesting because it means be silenced to go dumb D-U-M-B all those languages, all that talking in other language what was the purpose of that what's the purpose of the gift of tongues or languages it's to share the gospel with someone who speaks that language right and one day those languages are all going to be silenced and then this last one knowledge now there's a good gift it will I like this it'll vanish away almost like Poof into thin air what do we think about knowledge and the gift of knowledge it was a was a great gift i'm reminded of these guys in the old testament they're called the sons of issachar and in first chronicles it says these were the sons of issachar who understood their times and knew what israel should do oh man have you ever run into somebody that has this gift of knowledge and they and they they get the time that they live in, and they know what we ought to be doing. You ever been there? If you haven't, I'll put it this way: you'll know it when you run into them. And they're amazing people to hang around with. I, I've met two two men specifically that I felt had that gift in a very strong way. And one guy, we were at a a meeting together. He literally spoke for four hours, and it felt like it was his introduction of 10 minutes. We were all hanging on his every word, and we were, like, disgusted when he quit. We were angry. No, keep going. We have more questions. Keep this. This is good. This is explaining what we're seeing in our world and what we need to do about it. But this gift of knowledge, what's going to happen to it? Poof. It's going to be gone. And when you think of knowledge, you think of weightiness and substance, don't you? Wow, this, this knowledge, it's so, it's so right on. It's here to stay forever. And God says, yeah, I know. I know. You're thinking of Mount Everest, and no, it's more like the fog. <laughs> it's going to burn off and be gone. Okay, so are you with me? <coughs> Love's, love is forever, but these things are going to fail. Now, let's, let's push on to verse 9. Look at verse 9. Um, so those are the temporary things. This is what fails, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Now look at the next one. What does he say about these gifts? He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. So I think we can draw, it'll come up here, two conclusions. And here it is. First of all, based on the previous verse, verse 8, I think we can draw this conclusion that first of all, these gifts are temporary. You with me? The gifts are temporary. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge, Th- those are temporary but they're also verse 9 tells us they're not, not not just are they temporary for a specific season but they're also limited in their scope they're limited if you've been in church a while have you ever <laughs> i'm going to be careful with this one have you ever cro- come across someone who had a gift and and they moved outside the scope of their gifting so to speak <laughs> They, they, uh, uh, in, in, in the Bible college, they said this, don't out preach your gifting. You ever seen someone try to do that? Uh, and, and they get a little kooky and scary. Um, and here's what it says in verse number, number nine it says, For we know what, in part, our knowledge is what, partial. Uh, this gift of knowledge, it's usually just for that right there, and it doesn't always go. Farther than it's not total and complete are you tracking with me not only is it temporary it's limited so we know in part and then we what we prophesy what In in part it's just right here it's not this it's just this right here are you with me so he's showing us look those things are gifts and they're great for what they are but first of all they got a season and even within that season it's not the whole thing And this is just me talking here now. Now, I think the reason it's not the whole thing, because if it was, if there was one person that had the total package in that, even in just one gifting, I just know how we are. God knows how we would write everybody else off and say, I I have need of no one and nothing. I just think that's the way we are. So here's... Where do we go from here? Where's Paul going from here? I want you to see the logical progression. Look at the next screen. Here's how verse 10 begins. Verse 10 begins with this word, um, but. And that is, the word but in there is always a contrast key. When you see the word but, he's beginning to contrast something, uh, to say something different. I remember when I was <laughs> first in ministry and youth ministry, working with kids, um, I had a group of a Sunday school, high school, junior high group of boys, and I was trying to teach them how to study the Bible. And I said, Whenever you see a butt, check it out. Well, you got. (laughs)
1: They're like, Yeah,
0: we're with you. We like this guy. No, that's not what I meant. In the Bible. (laughs) I mean, these boys didn't just have their minds in the gutter, they had whole condominiums in the gutter. Uh, You know. But, but literally, when you see the word but, you know that he's going he's gonna to contrast something that he just said. And look at this. He says, look right there in, your, in the word of God and in verse 10. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So what's that saying? Just follow the scope. But something, here's the word, perfect is coming so what's coming church something perfect is coming and when and when that comes um, when that something perfect is coming that which that will be the reason that the partial falls away when the perfect comes it's going to push out the partial kind of like the leaves push out from the tree I got an oak tree. It's called a live oak, and there's a reason they call it that. I figured it out. I thinking. I mean, the leaves turn brown, but they don't, they don't let loose. i never seen such a thing. That tree in our front yard that the kids hang on. You know when the trees finally let go? When they're pushed out by the new leaves. So you clean up your yard, and then in the spring, you got to rake again because underneath that tree... All those leaves get pushed out by the the new baby leaves coming out. And that's kind of the idea here. Something that's perfect, we'll talk about what that something is in a minute, is is coming, and when it comes, it's going to push out those gifts. They're going to no longer, they're going to fall away. They're going to no longer be necessary or needed. Are you with me? All right. And here's the thing. He's going to give us two examples, but... But the big, you ought to be asking a question right now as you see that. What questions should we be asking about verse 10? Okay, I guess there's several questions. When is it coming? Huh, thank you. What is it? Would that not be a helpful thing to know? Okay, so what is this perfect thing that's going to do away with all the gifts and we're not going to need it anymore? And just love is going to be left What is this perfect thing? And oh, my goodness, are there all kinds of ideas about what it is, this perfect thing. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is partial will fall away. What is that perfect thing? Well, first thing I want you to notice are the time signatures in here. Real important. What are the time words in verse number 10? Look at it right there. It says, um, but when that which is perfect has come. All right, what does that tell you right there? It's not here yet. Now, when is yet? No. When was this written? Was this written today? Ooh, this is written back in the first century. So just being honest with the text. And we've got to be careful there. We apply stuff to, as if it were written today. What he's saying is in that very early first century, just 20 years after Jesus ascends to heaven and his church is birthed in Corinth, okay, 20, 30 years later, as of that point in history, this perfect thing, whatever it is, has not come yet, but it is what? It's coming. Now, it might have gotten here by now, We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a time signature. When Paul wrote it, this perfect thing had not yet showed up. Are you with me? I'm just showing you how to read the Bible and how to study the Bible and not get yourself all twisted up and come up with some kooky ideas and write a crazy book that I'll have to write a bad review about one day online. I don't want to do that for you. So here's the next time signature. When that which is perfect has come. Oh, it's not there yet. Obviously, because these guys are a disaster of a church. Look at the next phrase. Then, when? When it does show up, then that which is in part, notice this, will be done away. Is the partial done away with yet? No. Why? Because the perfect hasn't showed up yet. is that hard to understand? No, time signatures are key. Notice two examples he gives. And notice the time signatures in the example because they might be a key to understanding what that perfect thing is. Okay, next verse, verse 11. Are you there? Hurry up. Get right back to the Bible before it runs away. Verse 11, he gives the example of the growing up process from a child to a man, the maturation process, the maturing. How many of you know some men that have, or people that have not ever grown up? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a sad thing, isn't it? But Paul uses... An everyday common occurrence that we can wrap our mind around. So look at it, verse 11. When I was a child, okay, time signature. Is Paul a child as he's writing? Mm Mm-mm. He's an adult, probably in his late 30s to mid 40s, our best guess. Uh, So this took place when? Time signature. Past. See how easy this is? When I was a child in the past, wh- well, wh- what was the mark of children? Well, I, what did he say? I spoke as a child. I understood and I thought as a child. I spoke as a child. How does a child speak? Yeah, different. They're, they, they're not, they don't quite get it, do they? And it's cute. It's cute. I know, uh, I, I, I heard a story. Of Emma stayed over camp one night and she went, I, obviously I sent her into the girl's dorm. And the next morning, the counselors came in laughing. They said, Let me tell you what happened with Emma last night. And uh, they said, uh, It was lights out. And of course, they turned the lights out. And what do the little girls do? They're talking, and they're not supposed to be talking. And the counselors would walk through and say, every, uh, Be quiet and get in bed and stop talking. And they said, and Every time we would say that, a little voice in the corner would say, I are. I are. <laughs> and all Emma could think is they were talking to her. And she was answering, I are. I are in bed. I are quiet. And why is that cute? Because she doesn't understand English. She's speaking as a what, church? Child. We expect that, right? It's normal. And, and I, I thought as a child. How does a child think? By the way, good thing for parents, children until about 10, 11 years, around Sam's age, they think only in terms of the concrete, don't don't go using analogy in third person on them because it goes right over their head. I remember one time Paul Jr. was little just a little guy, maybe five, six, seven years old, and he was he was whining. And I, and I told him, I said, I was so frustrated, it was bedtime. I said, Why don't you get some why don't you have some cheese with that wine? You know, what is that? That, that that's a euphemism, that's a that's a figure of speech. And so I was getting ben, ben, I was getting Zach ready, getting him in bed, and all of a sudden Paul's gone. I said, where in the world is he? He said, I'm, I'm up to here by now. Yeah, he's in the kitchen eating cheese. I said, what are you doing? He said, you said I could have some cheese with my wine. Well, he's literal, and I'm ready to tear him up. And my wife comes in and says, honey, let me explain something to you about children. They don't understand analogy. Okay, so our, the thought process is a little different, right? It's a little clunky. They're new at it. Get, their understanding is different. You all with Paul? You understand what he's saying? When I was a kid, that's kind of me. But notice, here's the word but. Again, a but is a what? Context key or a a contrast key. But when I became what? A man. And by the way, let me just camp here for a quick second. It was a very specific time when a Jewish boy became a man. It was called the bar mitzvah. It was around the age 12 to 13. Okay, You, you had the bar mitzvah. Bar means son of. Mitzvah is the law. You literally became a son of the law. What that literally meant is you're no longer a child. You do not stand under the umbrella of your father's works or his righteousness. You are now standing on your own before God. And you are responsible as a man of 12 before God for your actions. You tracking with that? So was there a very much a line in the sand for Paul when he said, I became a man? You bet. And in the Roman Greek culture, they had a similar ceremony. And the, child, the, the, the boy would bring a toy of his and break it and lay it at his father's feet, signifying the transition from childhood to adulthood. And he now, had, he now was a full citizen of Rome as a man. So there was a very much a mark, and we've lost that today, and we've hurt ourselves. We've hurt our kids. That's another sermon for another time. However, Paul's saying, look, but but when I became a man, what did I do with those things, those childish things? I put them away. And that was a direct reference to the Greco-Roman culture of taking the toys and giving them to the father and saying, I'm done with these. I'm done with being childish. I have now grown up. I don't need these things anymore because I am now fully baptized into the adult world. My speech has changed. My thinking has changed. My understanding has changed. Are you tracking with this? All right. That's example number one. The change that happens as a human being matures from child to adult. And when I become an adult, I don't need the toys anymore. I don't need those things anymore. And remember... So I, I got these spiritual gifts, but when, this, when, when completeness comes, when that which is complete comes, I don't what? I don't need them anymore. Here's the next one. The next one is the idea of a mirror. Look at verse 11 or 12. For now, oh, and there's a time signature. Now, what's that? Present. In when this was written back in the first century, for now, he says, we see in a mirror how? Dimly. But then, what does then point to? In the future, when that perfect thing comes, but then what? Face to face. Now, that's in the present, I know in part, but then, future, I shall be known just as also I am known. So the idea here is a mirror versus looking at someone in person face to face. And I know you're thinking, well, that's that's not a really good analogy because if you're looking in a mirror, that's kind of like, that's just about like looking at someone face-to-face, right? Culture, understand what was going on. By the way, the Corinthians, he's using cultural issues because Corinth was known for their mirrors. That was one of the things they produced. And back then, they didn't have glass mirrors like we have. They had polished brass, highly polished brass. And that was a big export of Corinth, they prided themselves on their brass mirrors. problem with a brass mirror is it can only give you so much clarity and he and it was kind of dim. Imagine your reflection in a brass in a brass mirror versus reality. Would there be a big difference? Yes, you better even the best brass mirrors that Corinth could produce that sold for uh, ridiculous amounts of money couldn't compare it to real life, and Paul says, "Hey, right now, it's like a mirror, and we're just we're just seeing things kind of distorted. But then, face to face, right now, I'm known only for a little bit, but then I will be fully known, just just like it's like, like looking at me face to face. Okay, so let's put that all together. When that which is perfect has come, that which is in part is going to fall off like a leaf out of a tree in its season." And Paul uses two examples, growing up. When you grow up, you stop acting like a baby. You put the things that you did in childhood are no longer appropriate or necessary. And then this thing of a mirror. How do those two, and then the time signatures. He's always talking about something now, in the, in the past now, but the perfect thing is always when. Always seems to be in the future, doesn't it? So what could be that perfect, that comp- when the complete comes? When the perfect comes. What do you think that is? And by the way, I'm not 100% sure, so I'm going to throw that out there. So I'm not going to say right and wrong. There's, There's several good answers, and I'm not sure which one it is. What do you think it could be? All right, when we're perfected with Jesus. That which is perfect is talking about the time when Jesus comes, pulls the plug on history. We're all just like him, and we're not going to need it anymore. And that's actually a really good idea. And I am not so sure that, that that might not be the answer. Are we going to need faith in heaven? No, are we going to need hope in heaven? No, heaven is our hope. <laughs> faith becomes sight and're and hope is ushered into the here and now. We're with Jesus. we're not going to need any of that stuff. Is love still going to be there? There you go. It's a good thought. What's the problem with it? There's really and, and this get a little nitpicky in the language itself, but it says If it was Jesus, if he was the one that they're referring to here, wouldn't it say when he who is perfect instead of that? In a Greek language, is really specific, and they use the third person inanimate, the word that, instead of he. And that's a a sticking point for some people. I don't know. I heard Stanley say one answer, and that the perfect thing is actually love. And one of my most respected teachers, the guy that I... Go back to all the time. Much to my surprise, that was his conclusion: that the perfect thing that's coming is actually mature love, this agape love. When you get there, you don't need any of this other stuff. And he made a, his name is Ray Stedman. He's with the Lord now. He made a strong case that that which is perfect is love, is is true agape love, and it kind of makes sense because Paul's saying, "Look, you got all these gifts and you got no love, and you're and instead of using." using these gifts to lift your brother, you're using them as a bat to beat him down into a pulp. But if you learn to love him like Jesus loves you, and you become perfected in this agape love, the gifts, they just kind of fall away and love comes to the surface. It's a a good argument. There's another one that I learned in Bible college, and and I'm just gonna shoot straight with you. I didn't buy it back then, and I don't buy it now. Matter of fact, I, I was asked to leave Theology 101. Because I made my professor so angry because I wouldn't fall in lockstep with the independent Baptist sacred position. I'm not bitter. <laughs> and they taught us vehemently that that which is perfect was the canon of New Testament and Old Testament scripture. And once the last New Testament letter was written and, and was canonized as scripture, when the scripture was all put together, it was a closed system. And all of those gifts mentioned, prophecy, knowledge, and tongues were a sign gift, a sign to the, to the Jew that the Gentiles were accepted. And once we had the fully written word of God, all those sign gifts stopped and are no longer in use today. It's called the secessionist view. And that is what you will believe. And I laughed right out loud. Now, I'm not saying I was a respectful student. I, I wasn't. But but even as a young neophyte logician, I could look at that and say, the logic is is very holy, and I don't mean H-O-L-Y, prof, I mean W-H-O-L-Y. The, the, the logic is, is terrible in that, and, and, and you're breaking all kinds of rules. And I, even in my young mind that didn't know anything, I was able to look at it and say, I don't believe that which is complete is the word of God that they're talking about there. And I still don't believe that today. And it could be Jesus himself. Not just heaven, but Jesus, when we we get Jesus in his fullness and he gets us in our fullness, then all these things pass away. And you you know what, at the end of the day, you know what the answer is? I don't know. You say, preacher, you you went through this whole morning just to get us to the point to say, I don't know? Yeah, I I did. But here's here's what I do know. Let me just share this and then we're done. Here's what I do know. I do know that when that which is perfect has come, all those other things aren't going to matter anymore. So so how are we going to know it? Those things aren't going to matter anymore. What do we need to be concentrating on? The fact that when I am perfected in the love of God, the gifts are used for their proper purposes and the focus, get this now, is not on the gift, it's not on what I do, but rather the love of God that is shed abroad in my heart towards you. The love of God is exalted. The gifts come in behind to undergird that love and everything is pointed back to Jesus and that's perfection and here's the thing, here's my problem with the whole heaven idea of that is I think God expects us to experience that in the here and now why was Paul using future because they sure weren't getting it now in Corinth were they Uh uh-uh but maybe Paul had in his mind and that's where I lean with Ray Stedman and Stanley that maybe this perfect thing is love maybe Paul had in mind hey in the relatively near future you're going to through the Holy Spirit's inspiration you're going to correct your behavior with God's help and you're going to be perfected in this love and those gifts they're not going to be as necessary is that making any sense? And then he wraps this whole thing up beautifully. And I just closed my Bible. I've got to open it back up. And he says this. And now abide these three. Just these. Now abide faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. I call this the great conclusion. And you'll notice up there, I call them the three roommates. You know why I call them the three roommates? Because it says now abide. Abide means to live together, to live under the same roof. The roof is the house of God, not the physical house, but your your body, my body, the body of Christ. And now within the body of Christ, there are three roommates that are going to be here. And they are faith, agreeing with God, hope. Confident expectation at what God said he will do. He will do in the past, the present, and the what church? Future and love. Putting the other person before yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit. Agape love. These three roommates are the constant resident of the body of Christ. They're the three pillars of the church. But, Paul says greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest of these is love. Why? Why does love win? Because one day we will no longer need faith. It will be sight. One day hope will be reality. The confident expectation will be experienced Continually, moment by moment. Those things are going to be gone. But you know what's going to still be there? Love. And you know why love's still going to be there? If you're taking notes, jot this reference down. Because of 1 John 4, 8. When God wanted to describe his essence to us in one sentence, he simply said this, God is love. God is love. Does God need faith? Who is God going to put his faith in? Certainly not you. We put our faith in him. He is the utmost, the highest. He has no one to put his faith in. Does God hope? No, because he lives in the eternal now. There is no future with God. He sits above time. Does God love? Oh, yes. And it is the essential Core of who God is. We are never more like God than we, when, when we are allowing His love to pour through us. I'll close with an illustration and a question. There was an old man who had the gift of evangelism. He only had an eighth grade education. He loved to tell people about Jesus. And God would often lay someone on his heart that he needed to share the gospel with. One day, true story, God laid a very high-powered lawyer in town on this man's heart. And the man was obviously intimidated. But the gift in him was great, and the love of God was shed abroad in his heart. And so he made an appointment with this lawyer, and sat down in this man's office and began to share the gospel with him. Well, this lawyer, being well-trained in the, in the art of logic and argumentation, every, everything that that old Christian said, that man twisted and turned around and got the guy so confused that finally, after 30 minutes, he, he left the man 's office and went home in tears, and he said to his wife i'm going to my room and i just I just want to be alone i don 't want to be disturbed and he was He was heartbroken thirty minutes later, his doorbell rang to his house, and his wife answered the door and wasn 't it that high powered lawyer standing there and and he said i 'm here to speak to your husband so she went back to his Bedroom, walked in and said, Honey, the lawyer's at the door. I thought you would be okay with this exception. So the man, kind of bewildered, got up and he went to the front door. And he said, Can I help you? He said, Yeah, you can help me. I want you to explain to me how Christ can really take my sins away. And set me right with his father. And the man said, I'm, I don't understand. He said, I, I tried to do that in your office and you belittled me. And you, and you turned all of my arguments on their head. He said, yeah, I know. He said, because I can argue with your arguments. But I can't argue with your love. How can I become a follower of Jesus? Love wins. Wins every time. And it's going to be here forever. Here's the question. Come up on the screen. How do you focus on love? How are you doing that purposely and specifically in your life right now? Talk is cheap. How are you loving? How are you loving your neighbor? How are you loving the people you work with? How are you loving your family? How are you loving your church family? I know that when I'm doing well, and I have to discipline one of my children, when my mind is working right, my question to them is not, why did you do that? My question to them is, how is what you did loving towards your brother? towards your sister. See, because that's the issue. At the end of the day, you can have all the gifts in the world. All the most important gifts that everybody loves to have and watch and look at. But if you don't love, you're just playing a cymbal solo, and it's rather annoying for the rest of us. How are you focusing on love? And what are the areas of your life, who are the people in your life that you need God's Desperate help to intervene to love them through me. How many of you know there's people in your life that God sovereignly ordains that if they're going to be loved, the only person that's going to do it is God loving them through you because you don't have it? We all have those people, don't we? What are we doing? We need to go back to the source of love, to he who is love. and Realize that love's going to be here forever. God loved them through me. Let's take a moment and pray about that, shall we? Father, I, we come to you today, first of all, thankful that love wins. How amazing is that? That one day when that perfect comes, whatever that is, and maybe it's all of those things, maybe it started with your sovereign compiling of your scriptures, Old and New Testament. Maybe it's to continue as we grow in your love and bask in it so much that it just pours out of us like water pours out of a jar or a hose. And maybe it is ultimately in your presence when it's no longer through a, in, a, in a mirror dimly, but it's face to face and we're known even as we are known. We, we, we become who we are in you and see you. Maybe it's all of those things and not just any one of them. But, Lord, here's what we do know. We're living in a here and now. We're here right now. And right now, you've put people in our lives that desperately need your agape love. And if it's ever going to happen, the only way it's going to happen is if you do it. If you do it. So right now, all across this room, and those that are hearing this on the Internet today, I pray that you will put faces to their mind of people who desperately need your love to be expressed through us and help us to get out of the way and let you do it. Because at the end of the day, when the plug is pulled on eternity, love's still gonna be there because you're gonna be there and you are love. Thank you for this teaching, hard as it is, impossible as it is. I thank you that you didn't leave one thing for us to do in this chapter, not one thing. Because you've done it all. That's grace, that's the gospel. Help us to know and experience the truth of that. and May you love our world through us today, in Jesus' name, amen.